Uh, we're talking about building people who build churches. Of course, we're t- uh, the, this session is on the prioritized life. Um, and my job here is to exhort y'all and myself to prioritize uh, what we have in Christ so we don't waste our lives on wood, hay, and stubble, which is kind of the theme most of the time. And so... Um, if you have your Bibles here, we're in First Timothy chapter six, and uh, we're going to look at verses one through ten. We won't get through all of that tonight, but let's just kind of read down through that, and then we'll jump off into verse one and go from there. Uh, Paul, we're on the final leg of our study here in this this book, uh, and so here we go. Let us uh, let as I'm sorry, many servants are under the yoke. Count their own masters worthy of all honor, uh, that the name of God and His doctrine be. Not not blasphemed. And they that have believing <coughs> masters, let them not despise them uh, because they are brethren, but rather to do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even to words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world in its certain we can uh, can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us uh, be therewith content but they that are uh, that will be rich fall into temptation and snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition Uh, for the love of money is the root of all evil while which some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows now, of course, you know, I, I intentionally planned to be talking about this verse, especially the verse 10, as I talked about that verse in Proverbs this morning. You know, I didn't actually know that was going to be congruent, but the admonition this morning in Proverbs 27 was um, verse 23 and 24 in particular, right, is riches and, and power, being a king and having money isn't enough, right? It's better just to be content with what God gives you and uh, taking care of the flocks and the herds that God has given us. And so uh, these other things pass away. Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Uh, so godliness is where it's at. And that's what we're talking about here in this passage. Uh, and if you have your outline there, the first point of a study tonight is contentment trumps covetousness. Contentment trumps covetousness. And that is not a political statement. That is just what I'm, that is just English grammar, right? So contentment trumps covetousness. So uh, point A is be content to serve. Be content to serve. In uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, we'll back up to the top of the text and work our way back down. He says, let as many uh, servants as are under the yoke be counted or uh, yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Uh, now that is totally a countercultural type of thought uh, in our world today. That doesn't make any sense to us, uh, but that's exactly what the Lord would have. And they that ha- have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. 
And of course, these, uh, this, uh, this premise that Paul sets forth here, and then you see it also illustrated in Philemon, has really rocked the whole Western world in the last 300 years, uh, and, that's, and put an end to slavery as it existed you know, throughout all of human history. Uh, because in Christ, uh, it levels the playing field, right, and, and makes us peers uh, with those that, w- that serve under us and those that we uh, serve or to honor who serve over us. So be content to serve is the point. Paul continues his thoughts from chapter 5. I know that because the Holy Ghost had Paul use the word yoke in chapter 6 and verse 1. A yoke would accompany an ox or a team of oxen, and Paul is a servant leader, right? So just uh, like his Lord Jesus Christ, and while he's on the subject of not muzzling the ox that treadeth out the corn, he turns his attention to the servant class of the culture. And of course, while Paul is addressing indentured servants in the Roman Empire, a large number of which would have been believers uh, from a Hebrew background who were among the top educators of the day, he was also addressing all the uh, Roman Empire. Uh, This epistle was written around 63 AD and would only be a few short years before he would stand before Nero, uh, the emperor. And, uh, and of course, we know that didn't go well for his body, but it went good for his soul. And so the age of the Roman Republic ended, uh, for all practical purposes, not too long before Christ was born in 27 B.C., when the Roman Senate uh, granted Octavius full power over the entire Roman Empire. And that's sort of like... like uh, it didn't just. There wasn't like a bulletin that went out across the Roman Empire that says, you know, your d- democracy, your republic form of government has just ended. It just it happened through a legislative process, sort of like the Patriot Act back in 9/11. So back in 01, um, you know, that was when a lot of American uh, liberties were were truncated. But people, did, it took like maybe 20 years before people really realized, you know, that, oh, well, maybe we can never go back, right? And so uh, that's kind of what was going on during this time. So, uh, you know, 27 B.C., that was before the birth of Christ. Uh, those, those uh, the, the government shifted into uh, what became more autocratic. Um, uh, well, it became a, a truly... Uh, uh, totalitarian type of system with the emperor being indeed the emperor. And so Jesus was careful to acknowledge the Roman power when he said uh, in Luke twenty twenty five, he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. And so he makes a delineation there. Obviously, God is over all. Uh, but he says, hey, I've, I've delegated Caesar. He's got rule over some stuff, so give to Caesar what he's asking for. Of course, the discussion there in Luke 20 is, what's he asking for? What are they talking about in particular? Anybody remember? Right, taxes, right? The thing that none of us want to render. <laughs> so he's like, give to Caesar what Caesar's asking for. He wants a picture. Uh, I think our heat's working. I can feel it heating up in here. So now you're getting hot. Yep. Sorry. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and uh, and uh, render unto God the things which be God. So while on one hand Israel and the majority of the Gentile world was under the boot of Rome's rule, Jesus found some of these taskmasters of Rome had more faith in the people of Israel. Ironically, in Matthew eight five, the Bible says, and when Jesus had entered into Capernaum, and I think I have all these listed for you there, uh, there came unto him a, a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord. 
Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to the other, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and, and he doeth it. And when he uh, Jesus heard it, he marveled and said uh, to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So here we have a Roman under authority, understands authority, and it says Jesus marveled at his faith, because he couldn't find that kind of faith among his people in Israel. So uh, they were primarily, uh, most of the people in the audience that, uh, of the church at that time uh, were indentured servants who, if not Greek, um, may be able to purchase, uh, if not in Greece, I should say rather, may be able to, to purchase freedom and citizenship under Roman law. Nonetheless, they were, they were property and, no, and had no civil rights to speak of. Some of these servants were <coughs> captured soldiers from other wars uh, and in Ephesus, uh, there was no doubt a great number of servants among the affluent Roman class in Asia. In some ways, it would not be much different than the domestic servants that many Latin and Asian societies maintain to this day. So if you were in a Latin country, it's not unusual to have a servant, a home, uh, domestic servants to do a variety of things. Also in Asia, uh, it's, much, it's very much like that. So it's, it's so strange to us Westerners from America. You know, I, I'll carry my own bag, thank you. I'll fix my own car. I'll, that's just how we're, because we come from a servant, but this country is based, we come from a servant class of people. Um, and, and most of you know, the people fleeing Europe or uh, Africa or wherever, uh, Latin America, wherever they're coming from to this nation, typically come from a servant uh, class. Not always. Now, of course, there's educated elites that come in for education. But uh, a lot of us in our in our DNA are, are just used to serving because that's the class that, that our ancestors came from. But when you get to places like India, it's, it's, it was hard for me in 2008, our first trip, to, to watch these little short Indian dudes lug around my luggage that weighed literally half their body weight, you know. And I'm like, I got that, you know, and the, and the, and the, guy, the pastor's like, no, no, they, 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 just let them get it. And I'm like, you know, no, and that's not how we roll. We, we'll take care of our own luggage. And, and over there, that just does not compute. It doesn't make sense. Um, and, uh, and so it's not uncommon. Like for, and I don't think Joe and Amy Hendricks would have a house servant, but I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uncommon for missionaries like that uh, of any kind of affluence. You don't have to be a Westerner or a North American, well, an American, uh, a United States citizen, let me, let me rephrase all that, to, to have a servant. There's plenty of Latins that have Latin servants in their home. It just is a sign of the affluence of the culture. I don't know, in Guatemala, was there a lot of servants in Guatemala? Yeah. It's just the culture. And so, um, so when Paul is writing... Uh, there were a lot of servants. Now, not all servants, by the way, <laughs> in a Roman context, not all that were indentured were like you think of, you know, um, the auction block in, in 1800 in the United States of America in the Deep South. So a lot of these servants were uh, under bondage, so to speak, but they were uh, they were articulate. So Hebrews in particular were articulate servants. So they were servants in, in, in status, 
you know, working their way up in the Roman society many times, or had been captured in a war, but they were fluent in, in language, they understood per- perhaps government, they understood different things, so they would be used to educate the children of Romans. So they were they weren't just like you know looked at as oh, go mop my floor. Uh, they would be there for other purposes in in regard to education and things like that as well. So um, it's just hard for American minds to even get our head around where the culture was back in the first century. But it, it was not uh, anything like we have in the United States. But it is similar to the way it still is in many places in the world. Uh, and so Paul understood what it was like to have his liberty violated as well. Uh, yet he had a, a higher calling and a laser-like focus on the true riches. So in your notes there on the side, I put Philippians 4.11. says, uh, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound in every uh, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. So uh, Paul was a man who practiced what he preached and rendered to Caesar what was Caesar's, even if it required his life. So both Paul and Peter identified themselves as servants, in essence bond slaves, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when they identified as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, that meant something. They were saying, hey, look, I, you, you may be a servant to, to your master, I'm a servant to Jesus. But you can imagine the liberty that that brought to those who were servants uh, like Philemon and Onesimus, right? So now he's a servant of Jesus Christ, and Paul set forth uh, that that makes them now brothers. And so they are both uh, careful to introduce themselves um, that way as servants, Paul and Peter. (coughs) Excuse me. Both were martyred at the hand of Caesar, yielding to Caesar, uh, without denying Christ. So there is a there is a point of convergence in the life of a servant where the loyalty, if if brought to that point, is obviously going to go to Jesus Christ, but not without all respect given to those that are in authority. And, and so this is a relevant topic for Christians all over the earth today, as we find ourselves under a yoke, and we need not uh, behave ourselves inappropriately. Uh, we need to be appropriate so that the name of God and His doctrine is not blamed, which brings us back to uh, verse 2, right? That's ultimately what the issue is, right? He says, make sure that the name of God is not blamed, uh, or his doctrine be not blasphemed. At the end of verse 1, I should say, rather, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So, uh, in verse 2, he goes on to say, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort So make sure you get the word out. So point one, finally, be content to serve where God places you. So let as many servants as are under the yoke uh, revolt, right, throw down, burn the city down. Uh, No, that's not what it says. Uh, You know, rage against the machine. No, none of that. uh, No, count their masters worthy of all honor. So that's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. And, uh, you know, I hate slavery. I think most of us in America hate slavery. Uh, But Paul says, and if you find yourself a slave, uh, make sure you operate in a way that gives Jesus Christ the honor and the glory. And so... uh, and so check your check your rights at the door. And first and foremost, glorify me. Uh, and God will take it from there. So Paul is saying take advantage of the situation you're in, especially if you don't have a viable option of getting out. 
right? That doesn't mean you should just be a servant. If you can get out, great. But if you can't, then take advantage of it and serve the Lord right where you're at and be an example for Jesus. Um, Sure, a servant could uh, slice his master's throat, right, in the night and steal his mule and 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 take a break and get on out of there. Um, But Paul says, no, don't do that, please. Um, Count their own masters worthy of all honor. Honor your master. Um, uh, don't don't take their life. Don't don't steal their their mule. Right. Uh, don't do any of that. Don't grab a bag of weed on the way out the door. Uh, make sure that you honor them as as a good master. And so, uh, notice the word count. Right. That means do the math. Figure it up. Think about it. Uh, count them. Uh, if their master was a good master, they may have been getting three squares a day, a roof over their head. Um, they may be getting some good protection. Paul's saying give them as much credit as possible. Right? Do, be as good to them as you can be, uh, if, especially if you have a good master. And when you're in a relationship, uh, you are yoked. It could be a financial yoke, a legal yoke, like Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Um, it could be an employment yoke. It could even be a marital yoke. Uh, would to God more people in a marriage situation would uh, count the person they're yoked to worthy of honor. It would help things out a lot, even if they don't like being yoked to them. It might uh, be a combination of some of those uh, relational binds. But Paul knows you're looking uh, over at the other team and uh, saying to yourself, the grass is greener over there. I wish I could be on the other team. And and so that's not the way to, that's not how it works. I mean, look at that company. I wish I could work for that company. It'd be so much better. They'd treat me so much better, right? So you know, if you had uh, her husband, uh, he would be so much better than my husband. It's not true. I promise you. Stop. Don't do it. If you don't serve where you are uh, the way God wants, a change of masters will not make a difference. Right? Don't be don't be switching masters. It's, it never works out. The grass is not greener on the other side. And so, uh, point two: be content to serve who God wants you to serve. Uh, verses one and two we've already covered thoroughly. He says, "Serve where and who." Um, Notice God says their own masters. Who are you supposed to serve? Your own masters. So your master may think he owns you or she owns you, but you actually own them because you've chosen to. And, and that's a decision that we got to make as we're counting that out. I, I know Paul is speaking of them uh, as the property of their master, but if you look at it another way, it's clear that the servant is to take possession of the master as well. And that's a decision the servant can make. He can decide or she can decide to do that. Now, of course, this is completely uh, not a, not a congruent with our culture. We don't have served to two, but we do have we, we do have binding contracts, whether it be marital or working agreements, et cetera, et cetera. So we can apply it where the shoe fits. And we can praise God. We live in a country where it's legal and, and acceptable to get out out from under one servant and go put yourself under another. Uh, I've been teaching my son that. If you don't like the place you work now, it's a free country, right? If you think he's squeezing profits out of that place, then go somewhere else and uh, see if you can do something better somewhere else. That's a, that's the way it works. So um, and so, be you're a free agent. You can do that. But not all countries are like that. You know, you don't have that luxury. Uh, and so, praise God, we live in a wonderful society, at least for now where we can take advantage of that. So take ownership of honoring those in authority over Christ, uh, over you for Christ's sake. That in itself is one way of coping uh, with feeling like you're always being uh, slighted, 
right? Is by saying, you know what? I can choose how I respond to my overlord, so to speak, whatever you want to call them uh, in whatever contractual arrangements you're in. You know what? I choose to own them instead of letting them own me. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and uh, and make them my master, right? And I'm going to go ahead and honor them the way God wants me to, and we'll see where that goes. And, uh, and, you're, and obviously you're doing it for them, but you're doing it for the Lord's sake, and it changes everything when you work for the Lord. And I can tell you that from personal experience, not just being a pastor, but long before I was working for the Lord as a pastor, I was working for the Lord in the business world. And that is how I did have to approach it. Otherwise, I would go crazy. right? And so you are working for Jesus. And so that does help you get through the difficult days uh, and understand that, hey, you know what? I'm doing this for Jesus, and uh, and that's who ultimately I'm trying to please. So I'll, t- I'll take it on the chin because, well, I'm not taking it from them. I'm taking it for him. Right, and that brings it, that makes the, uh, everything completely different. So having our minds right is important. Take ownership of honoring those in authority over you for Christ's sake. Right? Uh, it's not that they deserve it; it's that Jesus deserves it. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. So knocking out the master and running off with his riches, you know, will not honor God or His teaching. I learned this early on, by the way, in the business world. I, I had a master, so to speak, that treated me poorly and then apologized and instead of being a humble servant like I should have been and saying thank you I appreciate that apology I just agreed with them in a kind of snarky manner and said yeah you are a jerk you know and so I was looking for employment shortly thereafter <laughs> so uh, and so that's that was a, I was learning hard coming up young so didn't make that mistake twice so uh, you know what you need to honor those that are in authority and uh, and so notice there was a standard for lost masters as well in verse 1 Right? Uh, there's a standard in verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Our concern is for Christ and his doctrine. There's also a standard for Christ's masters in verse 2. And they that, that have believing masters. So there's a distinction between 1 and 2. So he's, he's not saying you're off the hook if your master isn't saved. But he says, now if your master is believing, oh, well, you're in a different situation, right? Uh, let them not let them not despise them uh, because they are brethren so you definitely need to treat a believing master differently than a non-believing master you need to honor both but one you treat like a brother the other one you don't have the luxury of treating as a brother and so you can't take advantage of that either and so our concern is for our brother and so it's easier in essence what Paul's saying is that you can go to a different level of care for a believing master you should be praying for them as a brother uh, not just as a taskmaster and if if you've ever, I think the closest thing that most of us can identify with uh, is, well, some of you may have been married to lost people, but other than marriage would be to working in a business relationship with a lost person versus uh, a saved person, right? And how you engage and how you interact. And it does make a big difference, of course, in how you honor them. And so point number three, and I'll be done here, uh, be content to serve how God wants you to serve. In verses one and two, we're still in that t- passage. The scripture is full of examples of God's people serving in bondage. Uh, the first bondage uh, man found himself in was the bondage of sin. And there's no one here today that's not been touched with that one. So you, you are bound to sin. Uh, if you're lost, right, you... Um, uh, <clears throat> 
if you if you're lost, let's see. If you're, you, I'm sorry, you are bound to sin if you're lost. But if you're saved, you have a choice. That's all I was trying to say. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans six, 6 and it's in the notes there. In verse sixteen, he says, "Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey." I'll just pause just for a minute right there at that semicolon or at that. Uh, yeah, that semicolon. When I was a young Christian in the Lord, this is one of the verses that I would just, uh, it just really helped my, set my mind in regard to serving sin or not. It is a choice, right? That's what it very clearly says. Uh, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So serving sin brings death. Obedience brings righteousness. Starting at salvation, but also serving our flesh versus serving the Spirit. But God th- uh, be thanked uh, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So your identity changes upon salvation, and now you become free. Uh, you become a free man. Uh, being then made free <coughs> from sin, you become the servants of righteousness. But we're still a servant, right? So we're not free to do whatever we want. We are now free to serve righteousness. And if we're not serving righteousness, then we're in our flesh and we're serving death, in essence, and we're going backward and not forward. But in essence, we're not free to serve our, our flesh. We're free to serve righteousness. Positionally, that's the only option for us. So if you're if you are in debt, uh, the Scripture says in Proverbs twenty-two seven, the rich ruler the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So the borrower is not honoring Christ and his doctrine if he is not honoring the lender with some payment. So don't complain about your creditors. Complain about your lack of discipline and getting in debt, right? So it's that's the problem is getting in debt. And so uh, so our examples in the Old Testament, Old Testament saints paint good pictures for us of how to work under a master. First, uh, and I mentioned this this morning, Jacob served under Uncle Laban for 14 years uh, to win Rachel. Uh, you know, he didn't. He didn't push back. He could have. He should have probably, but he didn't push back, and he just went ahead and kept serving um, for Rachel. Joseph was sold into slavery and consistently behaved as an example of a blameless servant. I mean, there's not a better example of what a servant is, and of course, or a better example of Jesus Christ than Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, Israel as a nation as a whole was in bondage under Pharaoh and behaved wisely until God answered their prayer and brought a deliverer. Uh, right? And Daniel, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and many more glorified God through exemplary service. None of those men or ladies, even though they were in high positions, were actually the person in authority. Uh, they eventually ascended to authority at some level, second in the kingdom. Uh, notice over and over again, they're second in the kingdom, whether it's Joseph, whether it's Daniel, whether it's uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Esther. Uh, God brings these people and he puts them in places of authority it's amazing why would these people be trusted with authority well because they understood how to honor authority they got verses one and two of of first timothy six down in their life and because the people in charge could trust them with authority they ended up putting them in authority and god will bless that there's a book by watchman Nee called uh, spiritual authority if you've never read it i recommend it. it may even be in our library out there um after our church had a split back in 1996 uh that circulated well and i'm glad i i'm glad it did it's a good book. It's probably one of the best ones that Watchman Nee's ever written, in my opinion. And so uh, that is a good book to read. Uh, and it, and it, it talks about that. You, you don't belong in authority if you're not under authority. So your example in the New Testament would be, of course, Jesus. The entire book of Mark can be viewed from this perspective. And without lineage, Mark speaks of Christ as the servant. 
right? He is the he is. Um, Jesus Christ is a servant all the way through the book of Mark. Onesimus, the runaway slave, was uh, saved, and Paul sent back uh, his sent him back to his owner Philemon as a brother, uh, charging both to adorn uh, the doctrine of God in Philemon, verses fifteen through seventeen. The Bible says, "Therefore, perhaps, therefore, uh, perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever, uh, not now as a servant, but above." a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So he's dealing with him as a servant in this flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. So, I mean, Paul is really up in the, up in the ante on uh, old um, Philemon as he's telling him to receive his servant that he owns, Onesimus, that that, that is escaped from his care. He's saying, hey, make sure you just receive him like you would me. And I'm sure, you know, Onesimus was probably like, what? What are you talking about? That rascal? And so uh, Paul says, nope, he's been changed from the inside out. And so it's this type of doctrine, this type of teaching uh, that really has rocked the Western Western world, right? And and, uh, for us in our culture today, we kind of get that intuitive that people have value because we're in the West here, we're in the United States especially. Uh, But around the world, people are not valued equally. But this message coming out of the first century A.D. from the, the Apostle Paul from the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately, that's what really leveled the playing field is you can't really argue against this type of teaching when you look at the God of the universe who created all of us and he was born as we just celebrated at Christmas in the most humblest of settings to the most humblest of Hebrews in the most humblest of ways to illustrate the value of all people everywhere. Right, Even though he is the king, he didn't just show up and say, hey, move over, Caesar, I'm here. He could have. He deserves that, but that's not what he did. And he didn't He didn't do that for a reason. Uh, because, well, he himself is the definition of humility. <laughs> and so I'm going to stop there. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know that you have a point F. Uh, I have a sub point F. Yeah, I'm, I'm too far... I'm too, yeah, I'm too far to get to four, so we're just going to stop mid three. Yeah, I'm out of time though. Okay. If I keep going, yeah, I've got too much to. I mean, I have minutes. I'd have a few more minutes left to get through all that, so I'm going to pause right there. Um, I'll just pick it up there. We'll review all that next time. I don't worry about it on Sunday night. I just stop where I'm at and we'll pick it up later because we need to get to praying and, and get on out, get on out of here. I gotta, we gotta be ready for the funeral tomorrow. I gotta go home and get working on that. So, um, uh, let's. Uh, I did I, the prayer pieces. I don't have. <laughs> I apologize for that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'll turn this off. That was 